Well, thank you for your welcome. It's great to be uh, with you uh, once again. A little while ago, I had a, an appraisal, and the appraisal was over in London Bridge, and I cycled uh, over there. Uh, I'd given just enough time for the sweat to absorb back into my shirt, but when I got there, I realised that I'd gone to the wrong location. And the, uh, uh, the person in the office there described uh, the place where I was supposed to be, and my face began to drop as I saw how far I had to go. So managed to cycle over there, now no time for the sweat to absorb back into my shirt. I sit down in front of this panel, and their first question to me is, what things have most wounded you, found most painful? And of course, at this time, I'm thinking the cycle ride over here is the thing that was most wounded me on my mind. But as I reflected on it, I thought this. It's those times when people have lied about me. In my line of work, often you're trying to explain a Christian truth or, or, or explain something of the Christian worldview, and your character or your intentions get slurred or misunderstood, either to your face or behind your back. I, I, just by the nods around the room, I, I can see that we know what this is like. When your character is questioned, when your truth, when the truth you've spoken is twisted, and it can be painful. And even if it doesn't feel close to us at this very moment, we know the damage it can do. Relationships can, can end in heartbreak. In the courtroom, it can lead to justice not being done. In the workplace, time is wasted, reputations are ruined, and unnecessary money is spent. And yet, according to a recent survey by Forbes, one in five of us tell lies each week in the workplace. And one article I read this week made the point that in our society, lying can be a little bit of a coping mechanism, a survival skill. Because admitting the truth often means dealing with pain and failure. You think of Lance Armstrong ten years ago, standing up and saying, I've never had a single positive doping test and I do not take performance-enhancing drugs. Coping mechanism. And many are hurt by the lies that we tell. And here in uh, London, we can experience the pain of this London-wide coping mechanism in particular ways. Maybe when we invite someone to think about the Christian faith. Or it may be that uh, we just can't go along with uh, the way that a project is developing, or a party line becomes difficult for us to, to stick with. And it can offend some people. And as a defence mechanism, we find that we are misrepresented, that the truth is distorted, that our characters are slurred, and it hurts. And in Psalm 120, we get some advice on how to cope with that. And if you're here looking into the Christian faith, it's a window that helps us to see what it looks like uh, to live in this kind of world. Psalms, of course, are a deeply loved part of the Bible, and this is one it's a book with many mini-collections in it, and this is the first of a mini-collection called the Psalms of Ascent. Originally sung as people made their way up to Jerusalem at times of celebration. And this first one is, is deeply personal, at the beginning of, uh, of a journey where people feel very far from God's family. In particular, struggling with this culture of lies and personal attacks around them. And I want us to think about uh, three things very, very briefly. And the first is that when we find ourselves in this situation, we should pray. Pray for relief from lies. In other words, ask God for help in our distress. So you look at verse 1, 
Uh, and the psalmist says, I call on the Lord in my distress. And what does he do? He answers me. We have a God who answers prayer. Now, if I ask people to raise their hands here and tell me if they've seen God answer prayer, I imagine that a lot of hands would go in the air. It makes sense to call out to him in trouble, and so of course he did. Just imagine that you find yourself at Westminster Tube Station, a man collapses, someone calls out he's not breathing, you reach for your mobile phone, what number do you dial? You dial 999. Why? Because you know if you call that number, help will come. And the psalmist knows that if he calls out to God, he will answer. Prayer is the key that unlocks the power of heaven. So don't let it get rusty. Turn the key and pray. And so what does he pray in verse 2? He prays, verse 2, Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. In other words, take me away from the people who are calling my character into question and who are twisting the truth. He prays for relief from liars. But I want you to notice, that's the first thing, I want you to notice, secondly, how God answers. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time, just thinking how God answers. God causes him to remember the judgment of liars. Let me read verses 3 and 4 for us. So verse 3, What will he do to you, and more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom uh, bush. He remembers the judgment of liars. Now the first thing to see as we look at this is he prays, and he remembers something about God. But his situation doesn't change. So we see at the end of verse 7, he's still in the midst of people who slander him. His situation doesn't change. But his perspective does. His perspective does. Now now judgment can sound harsh, can't it? Um, But let me just take your mind back to those 96 fans who died in Hillsborough back in 1989. They were denied justice because of lies. And it may well be that some of the people who were involved in that didn't quite realise the seriousness of what they were doing. And yet everyone agrees in the cold light of day that those who covered it up need to be judged. It was a terrible crime. But when you twist the truth about Christians, you you twist the truth about God. And many people may not realise the seriousness of that. But to slander God's reputation, God who is always loving, always truthful, always faithful, that is a far more serious thing. And so he remembers the judgment of liars. Now, now as I said before, the important thing to remember is that nothing's changed here. Nothing's actually happened, but his perspective has changed. You see, we often think that God hasn't answered our prayers if our situation doesn't change. So, work relationships are are tough, but I've prayed. Workload is creeping up, but I've prayed. I feel undervalued, but I've prayed. Deadlines are unrealistic, but I've prayed. Days feel out of control, but I've prayed. But do you see, very often God is more interested in changing us than in changing our situation. Jesus Christ was the most perfect man that ever lived, and he faced lies and slander and insult. 
and he prayed to the point of shedding blood. And yet his situation did not change one bit. But prayer brought him to a place where he remembered what was most important, to stay committed to God and to his way. So can I ask you, are you praying for relief in distress? Frustrated maybe that things aren't changing? Can I say to you, prayer does change history, but it also changes us. And perhaps the first thing God wants you to do is to trust that he's got it covered. So, so our situation may not change, but we can say, in my work situation, in my work relationships, God knows my pain. I feel undervalued, but I'm a child of God. My deadlines feel unrealistic, but I'm justified by Jesus, not by my deadlines. My days feel out of control, but the Lord is with me, and he knows the end from the beginning. So you see, prayer often changes our perspective rather than our situation. And in the psalmist's case, he remembers judgment. But there's another particular thing about this truth of judgment that, 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 that uh, is important for us to realise. And it's that we shouldn't take judgment into our own hands. Because, let's be honest, when, when, when we face this kind of lies and, lies and slander, we, we often want to deal with it in court or, or get colleagues to realise the truth or muddy the names of others. But the psalmist here is saying, do you know what? God has got this. God will judge. See verse 4, he, he will punish with sharp arrows and burning coals. One commentator says the arrows of God are sharper than the arrows of the liar, and the coals of God are hotter than the coals of the liar. Verse 3 and 4 say, God has got this. So here you are, we've been lied about, and our names are being smeared, and we can want to use our words as a kind of gun to get people back. If he wants fairness in the office, I'm going to let everyone know how incompetent he is. Bang! If he wants truth in our relationship, I'll tell him straight. I feel like everyone's lying about me. I'm going to lie about them. And God is saying, lay down your arms. I've got this. Remember my judgment. So can I ask you again, is there a situation where where we're tempted to badmouth someone who has badmouthed us? To give someone the silent treatment who has hurt us? God is saying to you this lunchtime, lay down your arms. God remembers the the judgment, he remembers, sorry, the judgment of lies. Well, the last few verses are really about how this psalmist mourns the culture that he is in. We don't have time to look at them in detail, but notice verse 5. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach. That woe is a funeral word. He's distraught that as far as the eye can see, there are lies. And I find that really sobering because, to be honest with you, very often I don't feel very distraught about the culture I live in. And yet the psalmist resists the temptation to blend in and keeps trying to be a peacemaker in a culture of hurt. Verse 7, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Sobering to remember how quickly I fall into being just like everyone else. I don't know about you, but I find this a hard song to sing. 
Uh, I forget to pray. I forget to leave judgment to God. Uh, Rather than mourning my culture, I'm quite happy to blend in with it a lot of the time. But the thing that should keep us trying, the thing that should keep us trying and putting this into practice is this. Jesus did these things for us. You could say that Jesus sung this song for us. I used to be in a choir. Uh, it's a good thing that I used to be in the choir and aren't in the choir now. But anyway, we used to sing Christmas carols at my work uh, office. And my voice really wasn't strong enough to be a strong tenor. I'd make mistakes from reading the music and I just didn't have the strength. But thankfully in my office we had a very strong tenor singer. And he covered my weaknesses. So he would turn up and sing. And I could just croak along alongside him. And because of him, uh, the carol was acceptable. And it's the same when we come to singing this psalm, to understanding how we live out this psalm. We may do it imperfectly, but but Jesus did it perfectly. And so our efforts are acceptable. Jesus knelt down in the garden and prayed for relief from lies. Jesus was strengthened by God's plans for judgment, leaving it to him. And of course he mourned over Jerusalem. He lived the perfect life. And so incredibly, he is able to offer paradise and hope to even robbers next to him who make a habit of lying. And for people like you and me, who find it all too easy to fit into a culture of lies. We can't be Jesus, but if we trust in him, he sings this psalm for us perfectly so that we get to join him in the choir. I'm going to pray. And then uh, we're going to stand and sing our final song. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who always knew to pray to you in the midst of distress, the one who always had the right perspective on the slander that his enemies threw at him, The one who always stood apart from the culture that he was in. And we thank you that because of his perfect life, you accept our imperfect prayers and imperfect lives. And we pray, Heavenly Father, as we go back to whatever may face us this afternoon, that you may strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to live more like him in a culture of lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.